What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to the Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. In today's episode, we bring you part one of our live event, System Error, Should We Fix Capitalism or Abandon It? Here, Chief Economics Commentator at the Financial Times, Martin Wolf, and Greek politician and economist Yanis Varoufakis debate their views on the future of capitalism. In his new book, The Crisis of Democratic Capitalism, Wolf argues that democratic forms of capitalism remain the best system for human flourishing, while Varoufakis advocates for a post-capitalist world without banks, billionaires, or tech giants. Part two and three of this event are available ad-free for our subscribers now. And for our listeners who don't subscribe, part two will be available in our next episode. We also have a special bonus episode for our subscribers from our series Bright Sparks, where we'll be hearing from both Yanis and Martin in a more relaxed environment on the creative ideas that make them tick. This event originally took place at the Tabernacle in London on the 9th of February 2023. Over to our host, BBC journalist and broadcaster, Ridla Shah. Good evening, everyone. Uh, for what promises to be, I'm not sure quite how to put this, I think an impassioned debate, I think it's fair to say. I'm going to describe it in this way. Imagine you had a house. Some of you may say that's a fantasy, but that's a, another conversation altogether. But imagine you had a house and it needs some work. And uh, one builder comes along, sucks his teeth, builders always suck their teeth, uh, and says, well, you know, bit of a paint job, redo the electrics, some new windows, you're there. I think that's one side of this conversation. Yeah, it'll be good as new. The next guy comes along, because you have to get two quotes, right? So the next guy comes along and he says, you're mad. This place is falling down. Just get rid of it, knock it down, start again. (laughs) It'll be fabulous. I think that's the nub of the debate we're going to have today. What do you choose? Um, We've got two fantastic speakers here. Martin Wolf is Chief Economics Commentator at the Financial Times. He's often described as one of the most influential economic commentators in the world. His latest book is The Crisis of Democratic Capitalism. And Yanis Varoufakis is an economist who served as the Greek Minister of Finance from January to July 2015, and he's currently Professor of Economics at the University of Athens. He's the author of numerous best-selling books, 
the, the last of which is now Dispatches from an Alternative Present. And his next book coming out in September is called Techno-Feudalism. Welcome to you both. Before we get going, one more thing quickly to explain to all of you. There will be lots of time for questions. There is a roving microphone. We will get to all of you at some point. So if you're on the sides, I won't ignore you. We will try and get in as many questions as we can. And both Martin and Yanis will be signing books at the end. That's enough of that. Let's get going. So, Martin, your book has the word crisis in the title. Why do you believe that democratic capitalism, despite that, is the best political and economic system that we have? Well, I think it's pretty clearly the best political and economic system that we have if we look around the world as it is today. You can't compare uh, something, as it were, in my view, with nothing. Um, that's just moonbeams. And of course, there have been many very serious attempts to create alternative systems. By now, the idea of revolutionary socialism is hardly a novelty. Uh, we've been at that for, um, let's say, 120 years, roughly. And uh, without going into detail, it's pretty clear that didn't end very well. I won't talk about the gulags and all the rest of it or what's going on in China uh, today, whatever you regard that. And so, I think I start with the position that as things are now, and if you look back over the last couple of centuries, these systems, which have changed over time, they're protean, they adapt, have developed something quite unique. So one of the points I make in my book, 200 years ago, according to very recognized scholars, there were no democracies. Um, nothing that you could even begin to describe as one in an organized state. And nowadays, even in this democratic recession, as we call it, um, uh, more than half of the regimes of the world have significant democratic elements. Voting is taken seriously, and if you have uh, significant democratic elements, there's some sort of rule of law, there has to be some sort of degree of uh, uh, protection for the election processes itself, and these are all protections for citizens, having alternative political parties that you can choose, these are really valuable. And I argue in my book, I, perhaps I don't have time to explain now, that those were in fact a natural consequence of the forces brought into being by the market revolution, market capitalism. And it's why this has only emerged in those sorts of societies or something like those societies. And my basic argument on that is if you have the alternatives have always been complete state controlled systems and in completely state controlled systems, the state holds all the power and losing power is catastrophic. So nobody is ever prepared to think about it. So you need the decentralization of the economy and the, the, the existence of a wide sphere of activity which is outside politics to protect politics from itself. That seems to me that very quickly that, but there's one additional thing which is obviously pretty important, you can't underestimate it. Over the last 200 years, and we really need imagination about this, the lives of people in a society like this have been completely transformed. Life expectancy has gone up two and a half times to levels nobody could have imagined before. Infant mortality has fallen from three or four, three to five hundred per thousand to three. Um, uh, obviously, uh, the ability to treat people has transformed. The range of goods and services we can enjoy, the choices of careers and activities we enjoy are unimmeasurably greater. 
So it seems to be pretty clear. It really is the worst system except all the others. And what I want to do, I want to make it work much better than it has been. So I think Yanis is already doing some teeth sucking, but what we're talking about is uh, the symbiosis between, I guess, democracy and capitalism. You are very much a Democrat. You're raising your eyebrows. What, what's wrong with Martin's analysis? We've never had it so good. I don't realise that I raise my eyebrows. I agree with what <laughs> Martin said. Look, before we get stuck into our disagreements, let's establish the common ground, which is important. Otherwise, you can't have a genuine conversation. The common ground is that we both believe in democracy. And we both believe in decentralized market systems. Mm -hmm. uh, because the alternative is central planning, which um, either takes the form of Gosplan in the Soviet Union, we know how that ended, or Amazon.com, which is another form of the Soviet system. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's actually we even worse. Get to that later. Uh, in the sense that it is totally centralized, and the exact opposite of both democracy and the market. Amazon.com is not a market. The platform is not a market. It's a simulation of a market, but not of the kind that <laughs> Adam Smith had in mind, um, or any liberal would have in mind or tolerate. So we agree on that. And the, the, the struggle to deter tyranny from rising up, the struggle to prevent ourselves each one of us, because we have a darkness in ourselves as human beings, and whenever we acquire power, this darkness becomes more powerful and more insidious and more dangerous. I think as true children of the Enlightenment, we are on that common ground. By the way, congratulations on the book. It's a great read. You should read it. And highly informative, even though I have covered in my own professional life all those areas and periods and so on, I learned a lot. Um, the gist of it, as I see it, and I think you already said it, Martin, is that you recognize that, call it what you might, uh, liberal democratic capitalism, is um, the best of all alternatives, but it is also broken and needs to be fixed. And you have ideas of how to do this. So the big question is, should we fix it? Should we abandon it? What should we do about it? Now, here is where the differentiation between our views begins. Imagine this were 1776 here in London, and we're having a conversation about the system that prevailed at the time, which we now call feudalism. It was still considered along the lines of feudalism. And imagine there was a whole conversation about how to civilize it. That conversation would have been besides the point. Because by the 1770s, feudalism was on the way out. There was already a very powerful economic and social force called capital that was replacing land as a source of value-added and power. And that led to the conflict between the aristocracy and the bourgeoisie, the merchant class, and to some synthesis, which is liberal democratic capitalism. I didn't choose 1776 randomly. It was a year when Adam Smith published his Wealth of Nations. The whole point about that book was to say that there is this transformation, historic great transformation, in the words of Karl Polanyi, taking place. And the old was being jettisoned by forces that nobody really understood. And this is why Adam Smith's book became such a great 
a bestseller, because things were happening that people had no clue of how to explain them. You had a new class emerging that was extremely powerful economically, but for the first time, economic and political power were differentiated, had split up. Up until class. then, if you had political power, you were the prince, the baron, the king, you also had economic power. But at some point, you have this, these merchants that are scum in the eyes of the aristocracy, but they have more power, more money <laughs> than the aristocracy. So there was a need to explain how the rise of capital and the usurpation of land and the replacement of ground rent by profit and capital accumulation was changing the world. I feel, this is my conviction, and that's why I'm finishing a book now <laughs> that you very kindly mentioned is coming out in September. Um, I feel that we are at a similar juncture, that capitalism is being undermined and replaced by a new socioeconomic mode of production, which is highly problematic, very interesting, fascinating, huge challenge for humanity, and who is the agent of change? In the 1770s, it was merchant capital, it was capital accumulation, it was capital. The agent of change today is again capital. It's not the left. The left, we have failed spectacularly at transforming the world. When we did transform the world, we made a mess of it. Uh, and then we just went to ground, and we are now, you know, my party is at 4%. <laughs> <laughs> and the Labour Party is not even trying anymore under Keir Starmer to transform anything except themselves. So um, it's capital. Capital has produced, in my view, a mutation of capital. I call it cloud capital, algorithmic capital. Capital, the way I understand it, is a produced means of production. Anything that's been produced in order to produce other stuff, whether it's a steam engine, an industrial robot, a 3D printer, you produce something to produce other stuff. That's a produced means of production. Cloud capital is a produced means of behavioral modification. So, you know, preaching, discussing, advertising, marketing is an attempt at behavior modification. But when behavior modification, the agent of it is capital, machinery, an algorithm, which is in a dialectical conversation with people in their own homes over the phone and so on, Alexa, you know, Amazon's mm. Alexa. What exactly is Amazon's Alexa? It's a machine that trains you to train it, to train you to train it, to train it, to convince you to buy stuff through first impressing you with fantastic proposals as to what you should buy, and then sells it to you using the same algorithm, bypassing the market via a platform. I'm, I'm that is a, ki a new kind of, al of algorithm. I'm fascinated that you've identified the power of the algorithm in quite that way. Because having read your last book, I obviously haven't read the new book, I imagined one of the points I wanted to make to you was, does the power of the algorithm and the way in which it sucks our attention, does that make it much harder to persuade people to engage in the kind of society, in the kind of political change that you envisage or imagine in that book? Not necessarily. I'm, I don't want to be pessimistic and I, I don't want to have this surveillance capitalism view that, you know, Big Brother is here and our minds have been hijacked. I'm talking about a new form of capital which creates a new feudalism up in the cloud. Because if you think about it, today you've got millions of producers producing apps for Apple, for Google, for Facebook. Stuff that physical products that they sell through Amazon. And when you get it from them, they pay, or you pay, or together you and the producer pay 30% of a ground rent 
to the owner of the new land, which is the cloud. Martin, in his book, he talks about rentier capitalism. Yeah. I think now we move beyond rentier capitalism. Okay, Martin, this is not capitalism anymore. Is, is, it's a kind of cloud rent feudalism. Martin, there's a really sophisticated critique of capitalism in your book, but how much does the tech world, the power of the tech world, the sheer numbers in terms of money, the way in which we're all sucked into it, how much does that distort any analysis? So I think Yanis is raising a very, very interesting question. I have a much less apocalyptic view on this, which doesn't mean I'm not really quite worried. First of all, I think this is clarification. Yanis, being very firmly in the left, sees the notion of capitalism which is, of course, really linked to Marxist theories, as central. I think of the central thing as decentralized market mechanisms. Right. And, of course, the dynamic they generated when this got going, because people could own claims on the means of production, and they worked out ways of going roundabout in producing things. So instead of having somebody make something directly, they made machines to make machines that made these things. We start thinking as the dominant thing, the physical capital, which was created to generate more productivity, and which was, of course, the means of production and was owned by the bourgeoisie. And on top of that, the financial system was created. That's a useful analysis. But to me, what underlies that is simply that was the response to the technological and market opportunities in that time. And that remained the dominant model. I accept that the market plus technology together, it's pretty clearly, it's always technology in the market. We have created vast numbers of industries we take for granted um, because of the interaction of technological innovation and, and uh, uh, market processes. And, Got all those electric lights, um, which in my view were more miraculous than most tech. Now, we've thrown up a new technological system which has some very powerful features. The most important, I think, are zero marginal costs yeah. over all directions, massive network effects, and very powerful means of influencing the behavior of human beings, which Janice was talking about. And this creates immense concentrations of private power, which is why I've become very concerned in my writing about plutocracy, which is, of which capitalism, if you like, is one version. But mm. there have been, as Yannis was pointing out, plutocrats used to control land, and they control capital. Now they obviously control the rents generated by these systems. But I believe that the politics created by market processes which included radical increases in wealth and bringing in the possibility of building systems in which everybody could have a political voice, they're still open to us to ameliorate the consequences of this. And it's part of what I talk. So um, I think, and I'm, it's a question of, am I right? The politics can change this. But if I'm wrong, then it's going to be a problem for everybody, including Yanis. So, I think there has to be really serious competition policy, and I think a lot of these companies have to be broken up. They should never have been allowed to buy all the, the companies they did, and we clearly have to think much more seriously than we have about how we regulate the way algorithmic systems work. I have no doubt the challenges that these are going to create 
including increasingly now AI as part of this, are going to be immense. They're going to be immense to any social organization. And it's perfectly plausible that we will decide that some of this cannot be left, in fact, very plausible, cannot be just left in the hands of private profit-seeking act uh, entities to do whatever they like. I mean, this is one of the reasons by now, not ideally, banking has become so regulated. So I'm perfectly open to that. I think there's a lot we're going to do, but I don't accept that this is the end of all possible conversations about how we reform market through things that have been created by technology markets through the reaction of both competition itself and politics, which is what we've always done. And the, the key point in my book is the capitalist system of today, whatever you call it, the market system, what I mean, is, is completely different from that of two centuries ago. Adam Smith, by the way, missed almost all of that. He had no idea of growth. Uh, which is really extraordinary. He was a genius, of course, a very important thinker, but he didn't know what, how, he didn't understand there will be growth coming. So I think we shouldn't despair, and, and we mustn't despair, and we must say these are real problems, and we're going to have to find ways of tackling them, and waiting until we get some overwhelming revolutionary transformation is going to be, is to me, a, a doctrine of despair. I'm not saying this is what Yanis believes or is going to propose, but we, what is true clear, it is discussed in my book at some length, though many other things, this is a huge challenge and we haven't yet really recognized it. That is true. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intelligence Squared. Part two of the event will be available as our next episode. Subscribers can access all three episodes now, along with a bonus episode of Bright Sparks, where we hear from both Martin and Yanis on the creative ideas that make them tick. This podcast was produced by executive producer Hannah Kay, with editing by executive producer Rowan Slaney. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next, who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquare.com or find us on Twitter at Intelligence2. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds, then head over to intelligencesquared.com. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.